Hi, this is Carolyn Cooper. Welcome to the Mental Health and Faith Podcast, where we offer encouragement for life in this complicated world. Please join the conversation by entering your questions, suggestions, and insights in the comments. Enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Carolyn, and I'm here today with a very special guest. This is my sister, Teresa Cooley-Bennett, and I'm going to let her tell a little bit about herself, and then we'll get started talking about mental health and faith and suicide prevention and just kind of a variety of things today. So, Teresa? All right. Can I call you Terry? Yes. (laughs) Call me Terry. Um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I have a background in social work, do a lot with co-occurring disorders, which is substance use and mental health, and I've worked uh, with people in poverty and unhoused and with lots of abuse issues for the past over 30 years, and Mm. I'm happy to be here today. Well, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about suicide prevention and awareness. And just just to get us started, what are some warning signs or what are some kind of some basic things that people should know about suicide? Okay. Well, the most common that probably everyone's kind of familiar with is depression. You know, feelings mm. of depression, sadness, and maybe... Uh, the general public doesn't realize that that could be, that's one of the biggest signs of suicidality Mm. is depression. So suicidality, for people that are listening that may not be familiar with that term, what exactly does that mean? Okay, so when we say suicidality or suicidal ideation, it's having thoughts of suicide. It might not be literal thoughts. It may be a thought of, "I I would be better off dead. Okay. Or I would be, uh, the world would be better if I wasn't in it any longer. Or everything, all my problems would be solved if I wasn't here anymore. So it's not like a literal, I'm going to do this to myself to end my life. It could, it could be vague. And there's some suicide warning signs, like if they're talking about death, uh, increased substance use, like if someone hasn't been drinking, and now all of a sudden they're drinking more and more, or they're using uh, drugs and alcohol, maybe they had even stopped for a while, but now they've upped their increase of it. If they're isolating themselves, uh, other warning signs are they're not interested anymore in doing things they enjoyed. So maybe they used to enjoy going to a movie or watching a movie on, on TV at home or they had things they really liked to do. They're not doing those things anymore. Their appetites change. They're losing weight or they're gaining weight. Those are signs. Um, there's the the sleep issue, sleeping too much or not sleeping at all. That's good to be aware of. Yes. And so especially if they have multiple of those signs, it's probably even more of a, a sign that something's going on. If they have multiple warning yes. signs showing up. Yes. Okay. Can you share maybe a story related to uh, suicide that um, that you'd be willing to share? Of course, we're going to keep everything confidential yes. because, you know, not reveal any specifics. But right. I think that might be very interesting to hear an actual. Yes. So in my work, uh, what's really important is that we assess for suicide, first of all. And so asking 
certain questions. Um, but sometimes, like a lot of times, the individuals, they, they're not really wanting to complete a suicide. They're like wanting help. And suicide is the only solution they can see for the problems or what they're going through. So, for example, I had a, an individual come in, and they had lost everything. Um, they had been in a, a relationship that, that didn't go correct, didn't go right. It had been a long-term relationship, and it ended up not working out at the end after years. Mm -hmm. And then the individual ended up uh, getting evicted from their home um, because they didn't know the the partner wasn't keeping up on the rent and and it kind of seemed like the partner was planning to get out of the relationship to begin with but didn't tell the other partner and then the they ended up losing their home their car their job and everything was lost and so the individual was like feeling hopeless and never been in this situation before and so the thought was uh maybe I need to just complete suicide or end it because I don't know what to do and I've never been in this situation before. And so their, their thoughts was, uh, was going to uh, suicidality. Which is probably somewhat common. Yeah. I would guess. Everybody feels that way sometimes. They go through a really hard time in their life and it's like, gosh, you know, it'd be better off if I wasn't here any longer or, you know, maybe mm -hmm. maybe things would be better. And it's kind of like a kind of a coping strategy of, well, if I wasn't here, I wouldn't have to deal with it. Kind of. OK, so so the individual that came in was having the suicide ideology. Yes. And did it progress? No. Oh, good. And what I do is I do an assessment as far as uh, once I hear those things, I start asking more questions like, do you have a plan? The person said no, not currently, but in the past had thought about doing, having overdosing on just medicine, on pills. So if someone has a plan at one time, are they at greater risk of having a plan in the future, or it may just depend on circumstances? The biggest risk is if they've attempted in the past. Okay. More attempts they've made, they're higher risk. Okay. And I don't, the research does say if somebody has like an active plan, they're at higher risk. But if this person had thought about taking an overdosing like months ago, that's not the same as... Uh, oh, an right. attempt because they didn't act on it. Okay. What would someone like me do who's not a professional? What is something that I could do if someone expresses suicidology to me? If, if they make those kinds of comments to me, how do I find out if it's something really more serious? At what point do I say we've got to get help? How would I approach that? How I would approach it, it would be say, you know, I just want to make sure you're okay. How safe do you feel you are? So I try to feel mm. out, are you, are they safe? You know, if they say, no, I'm planning to do this tonight, then I know I need to get immediate help um, for that person. Okay. And some, it depends on where they're at. Um, 
Because most people want help. They don't want to follow through with that thought. And that's why they're talking about it, because they're kind of calling out for help. Okay. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. So getting getting the help would be calling 911 or taking them to an emergency room? Well, there's or... a new suicide hotline number yes. for it's called 988. And okay. when you call that number, it's a national hotline all yes. over that they connect you to your local resources and your local mental health centers. And there's even going to be like mobile crisis teams that can uh, come out and meet with the individual um, that's having those thoughts. And so it depends on, they would kind of do an assessment over the phone and to see how um, severe the thoughts are. You know, and if it's just the ideation, like I was talking about, no definite plan, just kind of feeling bad, then they're going to make some referrals for counseling. Uh, Sometimes even antidepressant medication can help someone. Mm -hmm. And so there's going to be referrals for that, uh, which sometimes you can get from your own primary care doctor, or you could go to a mental health center, you could go to a private uh, psychiatrist. There's just lots of options out there. Okay. So whatever the person's comfortable with, because sometimes that's a factor too. Somebody might feel more comfortable just getting an antidepressant from their doctor, and they don't want to go to a psychiatrist or a counselor. Right. Yeah. Because that's... so you kind of want to go with what the person feels most comfortable with. Otherwise, they're not going to follow through. Okay. That's great advice. Um, I am going to have information on 988 in the show notes. It's a wonderful thing that's that's happened with that. That was some great information, Terry. Thank you so much for sharing. Hi, this is Carolyn. I am editing this podcast right now because I've decided to go a different direction for the second half of the podcast. I was going to fill the entire 30 minutes with information on suicide prevention, kind of to complement and supplement what Terry has already shared with us, but I've decided we need to have a little bit of hope. Suicide is serious. Someone's life is at risk. But we have to remember that we have hope in this world, and that hope is in the Lord. So what you're going to hear next is another interview that I did with my sister several years ago. The topic was mental health and faith, and I think you will find it so encouraging. When that little 10 minute or so section is done, you will hear the rest of my conversation with my sister uh, that we just recorded here in August of 2022. Listen to this hope-filled message on mental health and faith. Can you talk a little bit about how you feel the connection between mental health and faith is so important in the healing process? Yes, I see a big difference or when there's faith involved. And I worked in some faith-based agencies as well as having my own uh, business doing Christian counseling. And what I observed is my clients who had faith in their life were more successful. They were more um, apt to recover and to lead more productive lives. They had someone that was there for them 24-7 that they could call on, which was God and Jesus, and they could pray and rely on him to give them the strength. 
to get through. Unfortunately, sometimes in the church, I've heard the comment that, well, if you just pray more or if you just do Bible study more, that that's going to take care of everything and you shouldn't have these mental health issues. What do you think about that? I've heard that a lot as well, but I believe that there is a time for medication. I believe that Mm -hmm. God gave us doctors. Mm -hmm. If I'm going to go take medication for diabetes or high blood pressure or some other sickness that I have, then what's the difference in taking medication for a mental health issue such as depression or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia? Mm -hmm. Because to me, it's an illness just like the physical illness. I have bipolar disorder, and I have had plenty of times where I was tempted to stop taking that medication because it's, well, I was feeling better, I have my faith, I think I can do this without it, and I've been wrong every time, and my husband makes sure that I never do that again. <laughs> and if you think of people with those physical illnesses that have to be on their, med- on their medication the rest of their lives, they usually don't question it. They just go, mm-hmm. they just do it because right. they know they don't want to suffer a stroke or be in a diabetic coma. So they continue to take their medicine faithfully and regularly. Can you share some very specific things that you've done as a Christian counselor that has helped your clients? As a Christian counselor, one thing that I loved to do was pray with my clients. I even was interviewed by my college I was going to at the time to get my master's degree about how prayer could work as an intervention. Mm, At a secular college? Yes, it's a secular university, but they had a course called Spirituality and Social Work, and they were very interested in the role of spirituality. And they really enjoyed hearing about how prayer could be used as an intervention. That's fantastic. Um, Are there other specific ways besides that prayer that you did that you, you used with your clients? What I really believe a lot in is cognitive behavioral therapy, but the Bible calls it the renewed mind. Oh, And so I was able, with my clients, to talk to them about what are you thinking about? What's going through your mind right now? And let's talk about having a renewed mind. And I had special scriptures I shared that talked about our thoughts. And I had like whole little Bible studies I'd written, little Mm. handouts I'd shared with my clients about thoughts. um, Also about things like the anxiety, be anxious for nothing, but with everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. And I'm not quoting it exactly, (laughs) word for word. I loved doing research and writing my own little curriculum when I used to teach classes and groups, which I believe a lot in group work Mm -hmm. when you're doing counseling. Why do you think group work is so important? Well, in my field, and also biblically, there's a lot of discussion about the role of mutual help. So something I've been through, I can help someone else that's been through the same thing. And I believe Mm -hmm. that's Bible-based because we're supposed to bear one another's burdens and we're supposed to be there for each other. And I believe the healing can only come through relationships. We've heard some great information so far on mental health and faith. But I want to talk now about the world we live in and what you believe are some of the top 
concerns related to mental health. Okay, I believe we live in a traumatized society. Mm, mm -hmm. We see on TV every day murders, car accidents, hurricanes, all kinds of traumatic things going on in our world. Um, So besides just hearing all those things, seeing those things, a lot of people have trauma in their lives. Uh, Abuse, uh, verbal abuse, emotional Mm -hmm. abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. It happens sometimes in childhood. Sometimes it might not happen until adulthood. But there's a lot of uh, abuse in the world. There's a lot of trauma. Um, I, people could be in a terrible car accident but be traumatized from that. How does, um, how does trauma relate to mental illness? Well, trauma, if it's not treated... Mm-hmm. can actually cause things such as anxiety disorders, post-traumatic stress disorder, acute stress disorder. It can lead to other things. I also think that trauma can actually, if someone already ha- is prone to a mental health problem, mm-hmm. such as depression, that trauma just intensifies that yeah. depression. So if you have some kind of trauma and you feel like you've gotten better, you may really need to to get some more intense help to make sure. Yes. Okay. Okay, go ahead. What else, Terry? Um, Also, I believe a really big issue in our society today is suicide. Um, There's a lot of suicides now in our society, especially among young people. It's become really rampant, and it's become a really top cause of death in the United States. Um, I can't quote the exact statistics on that right now, but I can sure look it up for anybody that's interested. Great. And I'm going to a suicide prevention conference coming up, so I'll learn about that. Um, The opioid epidemic is really big. I know that's substance use disorder, but actually the substance use disorders are listed in our diagnostic manual of mental disorders. So substance use is also considered a mental health issue. Why is that? That's surprising to me. I think because of the nature of addiction, a lot of times there's root causes to addiction. Someone doesn't just wake up and decide they want to be a crack addict, Mm -hmm. but maybe they went through trauma in their life. Uh, we call that co-occurring disorders. Okay. Where they have a mental illness that underlies their whole issue and they're self-medicating. And they turn mm-hmm. to substances to help cope with the anxiety or depression or trauma or whatever is mm-hmm. going on in their life. So there really are lots of factors in what can contribute to a mental illness and contributes to suicide and addiction there's just a lot of factors involved for all of those things. So how do we, how do we address some of these issues? Well, I believe, like society, um, the Department of Mental Health in Missouri, they sponsor a lot of training for professionals. Like they have a lot of opioid trainings going on right now. Suicide prevention trainings are going on right now. Um, They're training peer support specialists. Um, Actually, they're being trained through another organization, but it was started out with the Department of Mental Health. So there's lots of uh, trainings going on to equip people 
I believe support groups and churches mm-hmm. are just an awesome mm-hmm. opportunity for people to go and get help. Yes, we are. I totally agree. And it's, it's sometimes hard to find a support group in a church specifically for me- mental illness. I know there are lots of different kinds, grief and divorce support and things like that. But um, we actually, in God's Corner Ministry, is actually starting a mental health support group. We will have an opportunity to really explore how our faith can help us deal with mental illness. I think the support groups are just a wonderful opportunity. What I also like is that support groups in churches kind of combat the stigma. There's mm, a real stigma right. for mental health. Um, people might use negative connotations to refer to someone who has a mental illness. Instead of seeing it as a mental illness, people are looked at like, oh, get over it, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Mm -hmm. just get over it, what's wrong with you? Um, Or even being told there's nothing wrong with you, you just need to straighten up and behave. That reminds me, there's a young woman that I've known for years who actually came to a support group I was holding many years ago, probably eight or more years ago. And we happened to attend the same, a same social group. She was told by someone in that group, you, you just need to get over it. And unfortunately, this person went on to say, look at Carolyn, that's me. Look at Carolyn. She's come overcome so much and she's doing so well. And why aren't you? And it was I was devastated when I heard that he had said that to her because everyone has their own recovery journey. Would you agree with that? I totally agree. Everybody's different. Everybody recovers. Yeah, so you have to address individual needs. Exactly. And I believe everything we go through, there's something to teach us. There's a message to it. With mental illness... We're all different. Some people need medication. Some people just need Mm -hmm. intensive therapy. Some people might need therapy for 10 years to get over some things that happened to them. Other people may get over it in one year. So we can't really compare. So I want to end with some really good positive encouragement uh, because, you know, this is a very serious topic, but even with the challenges of today and even with people who who are struggling and who have these issues there is hope in this world and there is hope uh, when you have faith um, can you give us just some final thoughts about how hope can make a difference in someone's life well hope is very powerful um, there's even been research studies on this and I've read them about like people recover quicker from different illnesses and diseases when they have hope. Mm -hmm. And someone can recover quicker from these suicidality thoughts and things when they have hope in their life. So in the case when I met with this individual that I was sharing about earlier that was experiencing the suicidal thoughts and the ideation, what gave this individual hope was thinking about their relatives, thinking about their aunt their grandchildren, their children, and all the people in their life that they loved. That gave this person a lot of hope. 
And the person told me because of those people in that person's life that that was the hope that was needed to not go through with a, a suicide attempt. You know what? You're right. That is powerful. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. So that would probably be one of the number one things to do if someone is expressing those things to you is pull them back to thinking about why. Well, I, I've heard it say this way. Why do you get up in the morning? Yes. What do you have in your life that makes you look forward to getting up? Mm-hmm. The people and the things you do right. and things like that. And, you know, sometimes, honestly, they'll say nothing. And so then I might start you know, asking, well, what are some things that you used to like to do or what did you used okay. to what did you used to look forward to in the past? And they might say, Well, I always looked forward to um, doing this artwork or I used to look forward to talking to my children or I used to look forward to uh, going out with a friend and, and so then I will start encouraging, Well, why can't you know, is it possible that you could do that again? And sometimes I've I've uh, had individuals decide they were going to reunite with a family member they hadn't seen for years. Mm, that's great. Well, this is this has been really informative and encouraging. Uh, you know, we do have a lot to look forward to in this life, and, and especially as as people who believe in the the eternal future we have with the Lord, um, we can have hope. Yes. In any situation. Yes. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Uh huh. Thank you for joining us here at the Mental Health and Faith podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I really do look forward to hearing from you. For more information, check out my website at www.ingodscorner.org. Thank you.